welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary, the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. Thank you, Jeanette and Dora, for the timely message in music. There is a savior, what joy is expressed. His eyes are mercy, his voice is rest. For each tomorrow, for yesterday, there is a savior who lights our way. There is a merciful savior who has forgiven us today. What wonderful news for all of you. If you have your Bibles today, let me invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13. The Gospel of John chapter 13. And let's look at verse 12. And I'm going to read uh, from the uh, Good News Bible. John 13, verse 12. After Jesus had washed their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table. He asked, Do you understand what I've done to you? After Jesus had washed the disciples' feet in the upper chamber that night, when he was betrayed, he concluded the service by asking the disciples this searching, surprising question. Do you understand what I have just done to you? You see, up till then, the disciples had not understood Christ's mission to this world. Throughout the Passover meal, there was an undercurrent of discord and dissension, rancor and uh, rivalry, suspicion and self-seeking, misgiving and mistrust, resentment and rebellion a pervasive, a contentious, combative, unyielding, uncompromising, unforgiving spirit had poisoned the atmosphere of the Lord's Supper in that upper chamber. Jesus detected what was going on in the hearts of the disciples, and that was what prompted him to take the initiative to wash the disciples' feet. And having done that, he asked them, do you understand 
what I have just done to you. This morning, I want to pose the same question to you. Do you understand the significance of what Jesus did for the disciples? Have you grasped the full spiritual significance of the ordinance of humility? Is the foot washing ceremony a religious ritual that Jesus instituted for his disciples to observe and for his followers, past, present, and future in every age to observe till he comes? Is the ceremony of the foot washing a prerequisite or an admission ticket to the greater event, the Lord's Supper? I submit it is all that and much more. And may I submit to you for your consideration this morning two vitally important truths I believe Jesus intended to convey to the disciples by that selfless act of washing their feet. First of all, the ordinance of humility, as we call it today, the foot washing ceremony, is an expression of divine, undying, unending love. Because the Bible says that Jesus, having loved his disciples, loved them to the end. That's why. Yes, it is a uh, supreme demonstration of divine forgiveness. Written in big, bold, blazing letters on the cross of Calvary, with the deathless, timeless message that has come down through the corridors of time, in Jesus' very own words in that passionate prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive the Roman soldiers for crucifying him on the cruel cross. Forgive the priests and the religious leaders for condemning him after a hasty trial, actually a Mickey Mouse hasty trial in their kangaroo court. Forgive the disciples who fled and forsook him in the darkest hour of earth's history. The second vital important truth that I want to suggest to you is the washing of the foot ceremony or the foot washing ceremony is a symbolic act of spiritual cleansing from the defilements of sin that have accrued and accumulated since conversion and baptism. Cleansing from the defilements of sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit, especially the sins of the spirit. The worst, the deadliest, the most ugly, the most virulent, the most malignant form of sin that Jesus alluded to in Matthew 15. Hatred, envy, jealousy, vengeance, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. You see, there is no real merit. There is no inherent, inherent 
value in the foot washing service unless it is accompanied by a genuine, heartfelt, sincere experience of forgiving and being forgiven. Not long ago, I came across the story of an elderly, dysfunctional couple who had been married, actually I should say, who had managed to remain married for over 50 years. For the last 40 years of their life, however, they hardly spoke to each other. They slept in separate beds, in separate rooms. It all started because, no, it all started after a bitter fight over how much money the wife spent on her telephone bill. One day after the communion service was over, one of the members accosted the wife on the way out of the church, and she asked, Mrs. Uh, Smith, I see you have forgotten, no, I see you have forgiven your husband. Mrs. Smith smiled and said, yes, I have, but I have not forgotten all the years of his insult and verbal abuse. Although I have learned now the secret of forgiving and and ignoring him. Oh, would you please tell me what is your secret? My secret? I clean the toilet every morning. But how does cleaning the toilet help you control your anger, your resentment, your bitterness, And your frustration? Oh, it's very easy. I use his toothbrush. (laughs) There is a fatal flaw in this woman's reasoning, and there is a fatal flaw in the Old Testament injunction of rendering an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And as uh, Mohandas Gandhi the respected, renowned religious guru of India once said that if we were to follow the Bible principle of returning an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, eventually the whole world would be blind. And we would all have to wear dentures because there would be no teeth left. Knowing human nature for what it is, You know, in a world of ethnic cleansing and uh, genocide, in a world of uh, violence and uh, unspeakable atrocities, in a world of barbarism, racism, and terrorism, as we have witnessed in Bosnia, in Rwanda, in Sudan, in Sri Lanka, in the island, in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, forgiveness seems to be unrealistic, unreasonable, unfair, unjust, and even irrational. You think, uh, you think the Jews can forgive Hitler for the Holocaust? Do you think the United States can forget Pearl Harbor? Do you think this country can forgive the Al-Qaeda for September 11, 2001? 
Do you think the South Koreans can forget what the North did to them a few months ago when they torpedoed and sank their warship without any provocation? Do you think that the Palestinians can forget what the Israeli commandos did when they boarded the cargo ship from Turkey, killed the, some of the crew that were bringing in relief aid and supplies to the settlers in the West Bank, Gaza? Do you think the Poles can forget what Germany did to their country? Do you think the Irish can forget what Britain did to them? Dating back to the time of Oliver Cromwell, uh, I think it was Oliver Cromwell in 1649. And on a more personal note, closer home, do you think the parents and family of Oscar Grant can forgive the bad officer who shot and killed their son on the Fruitvale Bath Station on New Year last year? Can nations and kindreds and tribes and people and Christians, Jews, Protestants, Catholics, Muslims, can they forgive the injustices of the past? Can we forgive someone who has hurt us and harm us, yes, we can. And we must. Because if we don't, we will be burning the only bridge over which you and I, ourselves, must cross. If we don't, we will be shackled to the prison house of hate and bitterness that will eventually destroy our body, spirit, and soul. For forgiveness is the only force, in fact, it is the greatest force in the universe that can break the chains and let the oppressive burden of guilt roll away. Forgiveness, in fact, is the best way and the only way of getting even with your enemy. Bob Hope used to say that if you don't have charity or forgiveness in your heart, you have the worst kind of heart trouble. You see, forgiveness lies at the very center and core of the gospel. God sending his only son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be forgiven and saved. God making Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we might be forgiven and made righteous in Christ Jesus. Yes, forgiveness demands no punishment, no justice. Forgiveness does not exact an apology. Forgiveness does not try or seek to even the score. Forgiveness doesn't say, you have to come crawling to me and beg, and then I will forgive. Repeatedly, Jesus, in his parables, pointed out the importance and the need for forgiveness. 
at the center of the gospel in his parables stands a God of forgiveness. He portrays forgiveness as the lovesick father who dashes out of the house, runs down the road, embraces the returning uh, wayward prodigal, puts his own robe over him, puts a ring on his finger, escorts him to the banquet hall where a great welcome party was in session. He portrays forgiveness as the generous landlord who pays the 11th hour worker the same wages as the latecomer that has just worked one hour. He portrays forgiveness as the wealthy CEO who threw a great big banquet and then went out into the highways and byways seeking for undeserved guests to come to the banquet. In one of the uh, Roman ruins in uh, England, archaeologists have uh, uncovered bronze tabloids. Uh, you see, the ancient uh, Romans used to inscribe prayers on these bronze placards. And then they would throw them into the hot springs as offerings to their gods and goddesses, much the same way as you and I do today when we throw coins into the fountain for good luck, you know. In one of these inscriptions, the archaeologist was able to translate from Latin a prayer asking the, god, the goddess of the hot spring to rain fire and brimstone on the person who has stolen his purse. On another of these bronze placards was a prayer imploring the goddess of the hot spring to make the person who stole his shoes to lose his mind, his eyesight, and his eyes. Now, when I thought about that, I, I wonder, I wonder, isn't it odd and strange for humans to implore the divine to take vengeance on our enemies? reminds me of the prayer Irma Bombeck, the humorist, once prayed. Lord, you know how hard I've tried. If I cannot lose weight, please make my enemies look fat. <laughs> in marked contrast to this, in a stunning reversal, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. Pray for them or bless them and forgive them that despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be called the children of your Father in heaven who makes his son rise on the just, on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the just and the unjust. And the great apostle Paul adds this counsel to the members of the Ephesian church, be ye kind one to another, forgiving one another as much as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you.
Let us pray. Our Father, our forever faithful and forgiving Father, our gracious God, thank you for accepting and adopting us into your heavenly family, unworthy, undeserving, unforgiving as we may be. Forgive us today our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us and lead us into life everlasting. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us again next time for the Word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming. <laughs>